Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our author events at www.skylightbooks.com. At our website, you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. And don't be afraid to follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Um, tonight we're here for Avenda Levita. She's the author of And Now You Can Go and Let the Northern Lights Erase Your Name, both of which were notable time, New York Times Notable Books of the Year. She received the 2007 Kate Chopin Writing Award as a founding editor of The Believer magazine and the editor of The Believer book of writers talking to writers. She lives in SF um, with her husband and her children. Please welcome Vanda Levita. Thanks, you guys, for coming out. Um, I was actually hanging out upstairs before. I realized that I felt really silly up there because they have cameras. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. They have cameras that show different parts of the store. And I kept thinking, what if I see someone steal something? Like, I don't know why I felt that way. And I was like, well, I know. I have a couple friends here. And what if I saw them steal something? And so I'm glad that no one stole anything. But then I had to come down before I witnessed anything bad. So um, thanks for coming. I am going to read from this book called The Lovers, and it's about a woman who's named Yvonne, and she's 53, and she has recently become a widow. Her husband passed away two years before, and she's the mother of grown twins. And at the start of the book, she goes back to Dacha, Turkey, which is a coastal town where she and her husband honeymooned about 28 years before. And since his death, she's begun to kind of view their marriage in a new light, and so she goes back to the place where it started to kind of better understand how it all unraveled. And at the start of the scene I'm going to read, um, she's just spent a full day, one night in a full day, no, two nights in a full day in um, this rental house, and it's a very odd rental house because it's based on a rental house I stayed in when I was visiting Dacha, and um, the owner's when we were staying there, had not put away a lot of the things that you might expect owners would put away in preparation for their renters. And so there was like there was a sex swing out, and there was um, nude photos of the wife with bows around her, and um, not around the pictures, but wearing bows like in the photos, and then um, and sex manuals, and that all made its way into the book because I couldn't not put it in the book, and. Um, and the other thing to know is oh, but I never met unlike Yvonne in in The Lovers, I never met the owners. I could kind of just imagine what they might be like and what kind of people they would be. Um, so she's um, just spent a day, two nights and a day there, and she's the owner and his ex-wife, who have a curious marital relationship, have already started showing up and kind of unloading their problems on her. So that's where we are on the second day when she gets woken up. Anyone have any questions so far? Yeah, okay. Very clear, good. Okay, so I'll read for about 15 minutes. I always like to say that so people know that I'm not going to read the whole book. Um, Yvonne was awoken by the sound of people in the house below, something falling to the floor, a man's voice, a woman's voice. It was already light out. Yvonne walked downstairs. Hello, she called out. She heard more voices. In the living room, a man and a boy were sitting on the couch watching television. Can I help you, she said. The boy looked at her. A lock of hair, the shape of a comma, bisected his forehead. 
The man called for someone else, and for a moment, Yvonne felt scared. What if there was a team of burglars? But what had they broken in for? To watch TV? A woman emerged from the kitchen wearing a headscarf and carrying a broom. When she smiled at Yvonne, her sadness was made more profound. She mimed sweeping and scrubbing. Of course, the maid. It must be Wednesday. Oh, hello, Yvonne said. She wanted to take the broom from the woman and tell her to go home. Yvonne had been in the house for less than 36 hours and had left little trace of being there. But she worried that if she did ask the maid to leave, it would mean she wouldn't work and wouldn't be paid by Mr. Selleck, the landlord. The boy was standing at the edge of the living room, peering at Yvonne with parted lips. Hello, she said. Hello, he said and giggled. Where are you, he said. Where am I from, Yvonne asked. The boy didn't say anything. America, she said. The boy smiled. Vermont, she said. The boy's face was blank. Let me show you, Yvonne said. She stepped into the living room and retrieved an atlas she had seen on the bookshelf. The boy's father was watching what looked like a dance-a-thon on TV. The atlas opened to Turkey. She searched for the peninsula in the southwest corner of the country. Dacia was a small black dot on the farthest edge at the point where the Mediterranean and the Aegean came together. She turned the pages until she got to the United States and showed the boy Vermont. She was always surprised by how far away she now lived from New Mexico, where she had been raised. The boy studied the map with great seriousness and carried it to his father, who glanced at the image and then said something stern to the boy. Yvonne knew he was instructing the boy not to bother her, and she didn't know how to tell the father it was okay, that it was the simple company of kids she now missed, that it was her children's childhoods she missed. The boy sat down on the couch, his legs straight out, and picked out a scab on his elbow. From the kitchen came the clank of dishes being washed by hand. Yvonne knew she needed to leave. She felt uncomfortable letting the woman clean a clean house, and she felt more uncomfortable watching the man watch TV while his wife scrubbed and mopped and did whatever else she was going to do. Yvonne retreated to the bedroom and changed into her new swimsuit. In the catalog, the one piece had appeared to be innocuously pale yellow, but the package had arrived at her door two days before her trip, too late to be exchanged, and the swimsuit had turned out to be the pungent yellow of a yield sign. She called her next door neighbor, Anita, and asked her to come over so she could get her opinion. Anita, who was wearing a hat rimmed with flowers, had pronounced the suit fun. Fun, Yvonne repeated to herself as she stood in front of the mirror in Dacha, tightening the straps, lifting the suit higher on her chest. She pulled on a shapeless turquoise sundress her daughter Aurelia had dubbed her missionary attire, packed a bag, and set off in the car with no destination in mind. She drove down the hill to the main road with the air conditioning on high and the windows down low. Despite the maid, or perhaps in part because she had escaped from witnessing the maid, Yvonne was in good spirits. Upon further consideration, she attributed the bulk of this feeling to her conversation with Oslam, the landlord's ex-wife. While she suspected Oslam of lying to her, this only made her more intriguing. Oslam was not Yvonne's problem to solve, and so she could listen, gasp, advise, all without having to watch the consequences unfold. Since Peter's death, Yvonne had come to value friendship more than romance. On the phone with old classmates, she asked probing questions, far more curious about her friends' jobs and children than she'd ever been before. But Yvonne was certain she wouldn't love again, not a man, not sexually. She couldn't picture a man other than Peter lying next to her at night. It seemed as natural as sleeping next to a bear. 
nor could she imagine adjusting to the feel of another man's thumb on her nipple, those particular pink marks etched onto his skin by the waistband of his underwear, the frequency of how often he rose in the night to pee. Seventeen months after Peter's death, she agreed to go on a date set up by a woman who owned the neighborhood health food store. This was the same woman who had told Yvonne about a website that emailed subscribers a new vocabulary word every morning, and Yvonne had signed up for the service because it was free, and she liked the non-surprise of its arrival in her inbox. She could never be sure what any other email might say, which long-lost friends or colleagues would have only just learned of Peter's passing and written to offer their condolences, their platitudes. But the word of the day was uncomplicated in its anonymity and consistency. Edward had seemed promising. A former mayor of a small town, he had broad shoulders and hair that appeared to always have just been washed. Yvonne soon understood that Edward was also a subscriber to the Word of the Day email, most likely at the store owner's prompting as well. Each time they had gone out together, to a Sunday brunch, to dinner, to a graduation ceremony for seeing eye dogs for the blind, his daughter was an instructor at the school, he had incorporated a recent Word of the Day into his conversation. At first, Yvonne thought he was kidding, gently mocking their mutual friend, but he was not kidding. By the third date, Yvonne's elbows locked into her side in agitated anticipation as she listened to him steer the conversation in a direction that would allow him to incorporate the word pleonexia. <laughs> At a bus stop bench, she sat him down. Whatever is happening between us is fugacious, she told him, knowing he would understand. It was Saturday, and fugacious had been Thursday's word. When Yvonne reached the main road, she drove out of Dacha without knowing the speed limit or how fast she was going. She didn't care to convert kilometers to miles, just as she didn't want to convert the temperature digitally provided in Celsius on the Renault's control panel to Fahrenheit. Rather quickly, the stations on the Renault's radio began to fade to static, all except one that broadcast a woman telling jokes in Turkish, each joke punctuated by a laugh track. She told a joke every minute, and the laughter lasted for six seconds, never more, never less. It made Yvonne happy to hear the laughter, as perfunctory as it was. Other people's happiness pleased her, now more than ever. Why? She sped past gas stations, so many gas stations, each with its owner's name printed at the bottom of the list for prices for diesel, prices for premium gas. She drove past olive trees, sleeping cows, and roadside stands displaying row upon row of porcelain swans, their beaks all turned in the direction of the sun. She was slowed by trucks doing road work ahead, and from the burn in her nostrils, she surmised they were pouring tar. As she trailed a slow line of cars, she grew increasingly impatient. At an intersection, a small sign caught her eye. Knidos, 35 kilometers, it said, with an arrow pointing to the left. She turned. Knidos. She had not known it was so close. She remembered the name, would always remember it. Knidos was penciled onto the back of the photo Peter had taken of her there on the last day of their honeymoon. In the photo, she was smiling in front of an ancient white amphitheater, wearing a sundress patterned with halved pomegranates. Peter had the photo framed and propped on his desk for his entire career at the high school, and not a semester passed without him telling her a fellow teacher had commented on Yvonne's beauty, her youth, on the way the photo had captured something they hadn't seen before, but now could not believe had escaped their notice. For the first 15 minutes of the drive to Knidos, Yvonne wound up a hill, the top of which she could not see. She felt dwarfed by the mountains around her, which were spotted with short trees at their base, dotted with white rocks in their middle, and bald at their peaks. Soon the road grew curvier, and Yvonne seemed to be emerging above the surrounding mountains. 
She passed roadside stalls where village women sold honey and almonds. The women wore scarves around their heads and had thick walking sticks by their sides. Yvonne stopped the car to allow a woman to amble across the road. The woman was bent at her hips, her back horizontal, her cane short. Yvonne would have bought anything from her, but the woman had nothing to sell. Yakakoi set a sign, and a minute later, Yvonne was in the heart of the village. The road turned narrow and bumpy, lined on either side with crumbling and gray buildings that had once been white. Aging men in baseball hats stood in the shade of a bar, watching as she passed. Donkeys seemed to squeeze her car from either side, and the old women gathered in front of the town's two deteriorating moss narrowed the road further. Yvonne drove slowly, the tires of the car barely churning, and when she was released from the claustrophobia of the town, she picked up speed. The landscape was more rugged now, the hills whiter with rock. She felt she was approaching something wondrous. Any minute now, she thought, and there it was, suddenly spread below her, the Aegean gleaming in the sun. The road descended and she paused at a turn and looked down on Knidos. The land itself had an hourglass shape and where it narrowed at the middle, a harbor had formed on each side. One harbor was empty except for a small fishing boat. The other was wide, majestic, eight or nine yachts stocked there, all with tall white masts bearing flags. As she watched, a wooden boat glided in smoothly, like a prop being pulled by invisible strings across a stage. On the radio, the laughter continued. The road ended at a lot where only six other cars were parked. Most people arrived at Knidos by small boats descended from larger boats. As Yvonne stepped out of the car, she was relieved to feel a light wind quivering through the heat. She was pleased she'd be spending the day here rather than in Dacha. More than pleased, she was proud of herself for coming here, proud of the road for leading her here. Knidos contained all the beauty of worlds old and new. There was the amphitheater facing the harbor. She had taught ancient civilizations for two years, and now she imagined performances and stage battles taking place on the water. She walked past a restaurant, the only building in Knidos, where waiters pushed open large umbrellas as though offering them to the sun. Above her, among the ruins, she could make out visitors posing for photos. Yvonne made her way to the beach, and then she was alone. She stretched out her faded towel, its texture rough from having dried on a clothesline. The boats in the harbor were bigger and more beautiful than the ones docked in Dacha. Many had two masts and sharp bows, their wood polished and smooth, simultaneously golden and dark. Each bore a different flag, Turkish, Italian, German, French, and one Yvonne couldn't readily identify, Montenegro. The vessels were close enough to shore that she could make out passengers on the decks with their bikinis and magazines and dark tans, nothing like the orange shades of skin in Dacha. As she explained that on her first day um, in Dacha, Yvonne has noticed something that I noticed when I was there, that, which is that everyone is um, sunburned to a very particular shade of orange, and everyone, like without fail, was orange um, all over, and I kept waiting for someone to explain to me why this was happening, and the only theory, I don't think any of you look like dermatologists. I don't know what a dermatologist looks like, but I keep waiting for a dermatologist to explain it to me. And, um, and the only thing, theory I can come up with is that there was a self-tanner that was being supplied in the town. And it was, since it's such a small town, there might have just been one self-tanner available. But if you have any other theories, you are free to share them later. Um, at the boat's sterns, fully dressed women were busy setting tables with plates, glasses, and utensils that reflected silver-white light in the sun. It was approaching lunchtime. The sea made a sound like breath, inhaling and exhaling steadily. Yvonne stood, removed her sundress, dipped one heel in the water, and then carefully molded her feet over the rocks and the moss until she was waist deep in the ocean. The temperature was perfect, cool enough to wash away the heat of the day. 
She dove in with her eyes closed and swam for a few strokes before flipping onto her back and then to her side. The salt content was so high that she felt the ocean was ejecting her as though she would soon rise above it. She splashed the water away and watched the ripples. It seemed it had been months, years, since she had left a trace of herself in this world. A grief counselor her son Matthew had sent to her home, in lieu of coming himself, it seemed, had accused her of trying to be invisible. You seem to want to cease to exist too, the woman said, just before Yvonne asked her to leave. Yvonne plunged in deeper and swam for as long as her breath would hold. When she emerged, she saw she had traveled closer to one of the boats with a Turkish flag. She could hear voices calling to each other from one end of the boat to the other, and then in her direction. A woman with a bright white scarf tied around her head was clipping laundry to a line on the side of the boat. She addressed Yvonne, first in Turkish and then in English. How feels the water, she said. Refreshing, Yvonne shouted back. What do you say, said the woman. It's nice, Yvonne said, and the woman nodded as though this was something she already knew. Where are you from, said the woman. She was wearing a white blouse tucked into long white shorts, her waist circled by a dark blue belt. United States, Yvonne said as she swam closer to the boat. Swimming and shouting at the same time was exhausting. She switched to the breaststroke so she could speak more easily. Where in the U.S., said the woman. She pronounced the letters U and S carefully as though spelling a word for a child. Near New York, Yvonne said. She was tired of explaining Vermont. Oh, said the woman, I was near to there. My daughter, she lives in Vermont. <laughs> That's where I'm from, said Yvonne. It was strangely welcoming to find a woman hanging laundry on the other side of the world who knew something about where Yvonne lived. She felt as though the woman could picture the mismatched greens of Yvonne's living room couch and chairs, the coat rack that stood in her entryway like a leafless tree. Please, said the woman, you must come on the boat. Please, I invite you to have a glass of tea with ice. Yvonne had no choice but to accept. What would be her excuse not to? That someone was waiting for her on the beach? Once she returned to her towel, she would be alone as the woman in white would be able to see. Yvonne swam to the boat. The aluminum ladder was warm on her hands, and Yvonne could hear the water dripping from her swimsuit onto the rungs as she lifted herself up. The woman was waiting for her, a plush white towel in her hands, and she wrapped it around Yvonne as if she were a champion swimmer finishing a record-breaking heat. And I will stop there so you know that she's not alone, and she's on the boat, and if you want to find out what happens next, you can do so at your own pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> So um, any questions? This is the time when I can answer questions or I can ask you questions. Yes? Did you go to Turkey to research this or did you already, had you already gone to Turkey Um, I didn't go there. I went there with no intention of writing about Turkey. I actually went there um, when I was trying to finish my last book, Let the Northern Lights Erase Your Name. And I want, that book takes place in the Arctic Circle, above the Arctic Circle in the middle of winter. And I thought Turkey in the summertime seemed about as great and as far away as you could get from that setting. Um, so I went there um, for a month. I just rented a small house. Actually, it wasn't that small, but it was cheap. And um, we, um, and I really fell in love with this town called Dacha but I had no intention of writing about it. And then when I sat down to write my next book, which I thought would take place in Croatia for some reason, um, I, this strange town and this house kept presenting themselves to me. Um, but I hadn't taken any notes, so I had to go back with two friends in 2007. And something really strange happened when I went back, is that I was so excited to go back to Dacha and to this place I'd loved. And I told my friends all about it. And we arrived in Dacha, and it was the ugliest place I'd ever seen in my life. And my friends were like, this was, are you sure this is the same town? And, and um, 
And I think that two things happened. I think the, cha the town did change a lot in the intervening two years. It had come really, just crumbled a lot more and it had come kind of popular with a seedier sort of crowd, a tourist, you know, tourist crowd. And um, but I also think that my first impression of it had been so informed just by that period of my life. I was finishing that book, which I was really happy to be finishing, and I was pregnant with my first kid, and I was happy about that. And I looked at it, I was like, what? What happened? And so um, I thought, well, I can't write a book about a novelist who goes back to the place and finds it's not the place she wanted to write about, because that just wouldn't be interesting to me or to anyone else, I don't think. Um, so I, I thought that, um, I thought of this woman, Yvonne, like a woman who had lost somebody and honeymooned in a place and be really disappointed to find it was not what it once was. So that's where she, the whole landscape gave birth to the character. So, yeah. Anybody else? Yes. Um, it seems like... Um Mm -hmm. But the way, I don't think, maybe not all of them are going to be all very elusive, but the way she kind of um, confronts her more immediate past, or all the information we know about her immediate past, comes in more staccato. Mm -hmm. Is that a structure that you have? I mean, can you talk a little about how you came up? Um, I can't because that was not intentional at all. I was, I was going to say I could sit here and lie and pretend that I, I had some reason for doing that, and then I just thought I'm not going to lie because uh, yeah. Right. I started just with the idea of this woman, and then looking and looking back on her life, and I was very much influenced by Marguerite Duras book, The Lover, and a woman, you know, a woman who is looking back on her life and her young life in particular, and. Um, I thought at first that was a book that Yvonne would be reading on her trip, and then it began influencing this book in ways I didn't anticipate. But I also just, um, I don't know, I thought that the whole book was about stories, basically the stories we tell ourselves. And she, you know, for years she's believed she has this really great marriage, and then she starts to rewrite it. And so it's all about the stories we tell and which are true and which are things we want to believe. And so I think that's partly what you were maybe picking up on. Um, but yeah, I'm going to pretend I did that, that the recent past was more staccato. That's good. Anybody else? Yes? Well, just a little more about the stories, because I heard you saying that it's like in couples, some of the time somebody tells the story mm -hmm. about the relationship and that other partner doesn't. Right. I was just wondering, because you're in a family with two writers, right. who tells the stories in your family? Uh, that's a good question. Um, in the book, there's a line about how Peter was the, they divided up all the household chores, and there's one, you know, divided up like who paid the bills and who did this, who did that, and they also divided up kind of who was the historian of their marriage, and in um, the book, it's Peter, and then when he passes away, she begins to question his storyline and begins to see that it had some holes in it. And um, in our family, um, I think that I actually am because I have a much better memory. Um, and it's true. It's true. My husband has the worst memory. Um, but I, uh, I, except for things that happened before he was like 25. Like then you can remember everybody will watch TV and you can identify every actor. Um, even like the ones you see like in the 
corner. Um, but I think that um, probably eventually, and this is the fear of having kids when you have two writers in the family, that your kids are going to grow up and write their memoirs. But um, So we'll see who has the last word. I'll just have to live a really long time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Great title. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I have two ideas. One, I have two ideas for a book. For the longest time, I didn't have any ideas for the next book, and now I have two, and I have to see which one I want to work on more because I think that will determine which one wins, so to speak. Um, one is um, set in Sweden, where I just was earlier this year, and the other one is set in New Zealand, where I was many years ago. Um, and yeah, I always start with location and then get the characters out of that, so we'll see which one wins. So, yeah. If there are no more questions, I guess I'll just say thank you, Skylight. I love this bookstore, and, um, thank and thanks for hosting me. I just want to say this is her, her last stop. She was her last stop. How long, how long was it? I've been on, on tour for three weeks, yeah. Three weeks, yeah, so you know, she finally rests. So. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> thanks. Uh, we have books available in the back. I'll move all this, all this stuff out of the way. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Ashley and Arlo. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, or at the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.